Hello and welcome to the Farming Banker Podcast. My name is Jeremy Dutch. I'm the Farming Banker. I'm also a commercial lender for German American State Bank, specializing in the agriculture and real estate investment fields. Um, and I'm a part of our family's operation uh, located in Poplar Grove, Illinois. Uh, for those of you that listen to the podcast, for those of you who are just stumbling across this for the first time, be sure to visit uh, the Farming Banker podcast and select subscribe and follow uh, or follow. I am on three platforms. Uh, you can find this podcast at the Podbean app. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and you can also find it on the Spotify app as well. So make sure you go uh, follow that or subscribe to it so you do not miss another episode of the Farming Banker Podcast. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the name Farming Banker. You can get some relevant information around the uh, ag industry, banking industry, regulatory updates, things of that sort. And I also have a website by the name of farmingbanker.com. And on that website, you will find links to our family operation, to the bank, um, and then also to this uh, um, podcast as well. Uh, I just wanted to let you know, too, if you want to be on this uh, Farming Banker podcast, please shoot me an email. Um, love to have guests on here and, and share your story or, or highlight your business. So um, the email to get a hold of me at is jeremy at farmingbanker.com, and uh, we'll try to squeeze you in on the schedule. So thanks for listening in. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. I'm glad uh, you know that uh, we got a special guest today. We got Greg McBride from Allendale Inc. He's a registered commodity broker. Um, you know, Greg, you've been you've been with us, uh, you know, on this podcast a couple times. I've been on yours. You and I've been. I don't know. I think it's going on maybe five years that we've been kind of working together and in, in, in you know utilizing our our knowledge base and, and trying to help our customers. So I'm glad you're on. Uh, if you guys haven't heard of uh, uh, Greg talk before, you I don't know, you must be under a rock because, you know, Greg, you, you're on XM Radio. You're on a lot of the farm reports. Uh, you got your own podcast. You've been on mine. I think this is now the second time. So uh, if you guys haven't heard, uh, uh, and, and you were part, I forgot, you were part of our um, virtual ag conference that we just kicked off. So, you know, we, we uh, certainly appreciate you having, on, uh, having you on here and, and taking the time with us. So welcome. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, it does seem like I've uh, I, I'm in demand right now. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's been fun. I get to talk on uh, on TV and radio uh, uh, about uh, four or five times a week, and then doing uh, doing the uh, ag meetings with the, the various banks, especially uh, you know the the local ones. Uh, that uh, is a lot of fun for me. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we certainly appreciate it and. You know, you and I have talked before and, you know, that's one thing for, you know, the listeners audience, you know, there, there's more, you know, it's funny when, when you talk about your specific role um, or my specific role, there's certainly, we, we try to branch out and provide, you know, additional resources. Um, and for me, you're, you're a great resource, you know, to be able to say, you know, I've run across people that say, you know, what should I be doing with, you know, certain, you know, uh, new crop corn or, or old corn that I have in hand. And, you know, I certainly don't want to do any kind of lender's liability. So you're, you're certainly one of the first names and, and it's nice to be able to give a name off and a resource and somebody you trust. So I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, and I working together. So it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. All right. So, um, I just thought for the listener audience, maybe we could, uh, you know, just give a, you know, a, a real, I guess, brief overview of market outlook. You know, you certainly, 
gave one uh, at our our virtual ag seminar. And and for those of the, you that haven't, you know, our listening audience that hasn't seen that, um, you can certainly find it on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and search German American State Bank, that is on there. And and uh, Greg, I believe you have a 15 or 20 minute presentation that kind of you know touches weather, touches corn, soybeans. Um, I can't remember if you did any uh, hog reports or not, but I thought maybe we just kind of touch base on that kind of stuff and revisit it for those that didn't get it uh, on the YouTube site or signed up for it. Maybe they can get that through this uh, this podcast. So maybe just start with weather. But before we do that, if you need to do any disclosures or say anything like that, um, feel free to do so now. Yeah, as far as the, as far as disclosures go, you know, there's always uh, I'm not going to give any specific recommendations. Uh, I, I'm kind of prohibited from that on a compliance standpoint, um, just because a lot of, the, you know, a lot of what we do, there's significant risk in what we do. So I need to be very careful about what I say. But as far as general information, absolutely, we can we can completely talk about corn, beans, hogs. Um, we can talk about uh, even even just generalized uh, commodity movement. Um, and and go from there because a lot of what's happening in the world right now does pertain to our markets even though we're not specifically named. You know, you, the, the big one that we can talk about is is crude and and the COVID situation around the world and what that does for uh, say corn or soybeans and specifically soybean oil. So yeah, we can talk about that absolutely. All right, well that's a perfect lead-in. Let's just let's run right there. Price of price of crude and COVID. Let's go. Yeah. So what we're seeing uh, out in the world right now is uh, you've got multiple countries over in Europe that are are on lockdown or have uh, severe restrictions as far as uh, people moving uh, about. So uh, the issue that you have with that, and whether it's uh, Europe, whether it's parts of Asia, India, you name it, uh, you run into the issue of crude demand or gas demand or or diesel demand and the problem with that is as people are not moving just like a year ago at this time that drives the stocks of crude up well when you run into lower demand for crude oil or arbob gas which is your unleaded gas or or heating oil which is your diesel fuel um that will hit the the markets that are associated with that so when it's talking about uh, gas demand, the issue there becomes ethanol, and that ties back obviously to to corn. And so the less uh, less uh, RBOB or or gas demand that we have, the more it's going to hurt the the corn market, or the more it can hold the corn market back. You know, we have we have one of the best setups as far as bullishness in our in our corn markets right now, but at no point in the last year has ethanol been able to even be a part of that conversation. So we're doing all this with just export demand, not even ethanol demand. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's been something to, to really watch. And, and, you know, you start to hear about uh, cases here in the United States going back up in a potential third wave or something like that. Um, I know Canada had made a statement about that. And that's where you get to see this, this big volatility in the crude oil market and it's been happening here now for the last uh, few weeks. We kind of had a breakout at the beginning of February, and it looked like it looked like seventy-five dollar crude oil was our next stop. Well, we get to about the end of February, and all of a sudden we start talking about OPEC seeing higher prices and wanting to increase their production, and that 
yeah, that hits us back a little bit because now all of a sudden you're building on stocks yep. when we don't have that demand. And so that uh, that gives us a reason to go a little bit sideways while we wait to figure out what's next. And that's if you look at the charts, whether it's corn or beans or uh, even crude oil or cotton, a lot of these markets have gone sideways when they were in such solid, strong uptrends. They haven't fallen apart by yeah. any means. They haven't yeah. turned bearish. But now we're just waiting for that next I guess, impetus or next catalyst to move us up higher. Yeah. So whether, whether, you know, people start opening up, we got more of a demand or, or if we're really going to oversupply the market, I guess. Right. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, and obviously uh, things got a little bit uh, uh, squirrely at the end of February when we had that big uh, freeze in the Southern States, specifically Texas, where they actually shut down refineries. So you're not, you're not using uh, crude oil and you're not producing gas or uh, or diesel fuel at that time. So it throws it throws off the supply chain too. same same thing with the whole Suez Canal situation yeah. where you're throwing off the supply chain and it may not necessarily be bearish for uh, for those ships that had to reroute around the, uh, the Cape of Good Hope of Africa, but it becomes bearish because now your stocks are not going down the way they should be because there's a lot of crude oil that's not actually moving through that canal the way it should be. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and, and I think maybe in a larger part too, Greg, we're, we're really, you know, we're really starting to see the effects. I, I think, you know, everybody talks about us being a global economy and, and I, I think we're really starting to see that, that that's the case. You know, take just small things, for example, in, in how all of this is interconnected. You know, if you want to get, you know, certain parts for, for a pool or parts for generators or parts for heaters, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hearing that some of this stuff is, you know, potentially a year out from getting to, you know, the United States. And I know that, um, you know, I, I had heard something on some of the ports, uh, I think out west over on the uh, Pacific that, you know, ships are sitting there for, you know, somewhere in the, the range of a month to a month and a half waiting to be unloaded just because as things start opening up, we've had such a pent up demand um, and how it's affected everything. And it, it bleeds. You're right. I mean, it, it's not just, you know, consumer durable goods. I mean, it bleeds into all the markets that 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 that, that we have here in the United States. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the 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 example that uh, uh, one of the guys used back at last last spring, when all of this stuff was really brand new to us, um, was that uh, showerheads. You have a a company in China that makes showerheads, but they're getting they're getting their parts from Australia, yeah. and they're getting their parts from Europe. And this this one company in China is waiting on parts from. Uh, four different uh, four different countries to build their showerheads, then to be able to go out and ship those all around the world. Well, one one boat that sits there in Australia that doesn't make it to China, even if everything else made it there, you're now sitting and waiting on that one part. And it wasn't just you know one part; it was multiple places, multiple uh, multiple slowdowns. And we've even gotten to the point here in the United States where. Uh, we've sent empty boats back yeah. to China. <laughs> yeah, I heard that the other day. I heard that. And I, I can tell you that there's probably a few, you know, a few million farmers that would be that would be excited if we would just load those boats with with soybeans and corn and say, no, 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 go about your business. Yeah. We're good. You know, get this out of our hair. We'll, we'll deal with it later on. 
Yeah. Well, you know, maybe that's a good segment into, you know, maybe a, a topic of China. You know, I, I, uh, I was reading, um, I, you know, honestly, I don't remember if it was, uh, one of your, uh, email, uh, you know, uh, nightly newsletters that you put out, you know, the market outlook or the, I guess what you call the great, uh, the McBride daily. Um, and I, I think in there, uh, were you still, you were talking about the African swine flu still being an issue for China. Um, yeah. You know, so I guess how, how does that affect, um, you know, how does that affect our markets back in the United States? Yeah, well, and one of the things that we've seen uh, in the last, uh, what, two or three years that we've had this uh, African swine uh, fever issue is that, you know, their their production over in China for uh, for pork is down significantly. This is a country that produces, uh, I think, roughly 700 million head of of hogs per year. So they're they're roughly they have roughly as many hogs as the next 50 countries combined. Yeah. And so and that's they have that much they have that much demand for it. Well, what this means is that 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 issue will increase their pork demand from other countries specifically obviously uh here in the united states we're constantly looking for them to be buying pork uh same thing with uh uh, germany and some of the other europe uh uh, euro countries so you get you get that pork demand everybody gets excited about that well we had this COVID issue last year just like everybody else and we had we had a situation where we weren't actually killing nearly as many hogs. And I think it took us about nine months to catch up on production uh, here or, or hog slaughter. And in that time, now that we've gotten through uh, the first year of this situation, now what you're finding is that production was scaled so far back because people didn't know if they were going to be able to uh, send out nearly as many hogs uh, every week, every month, or, or however, uh, to slaughter that now you've got empty barn space because people didn't want to yeah. uh, didn't want to go down that road. Or, you know, the other issue, which is a, which is a major issue is it ran some people out of business. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, and that's a, I think that's a overall, you know, it seems to be as we stand today, you know, maybe a trend of COVID in the ag markets. Is it, you know, the, the, especially when it comes to livestock, is it, you know, the shutdown of the plants, um, to getting back up to, you know, capacity and, and, you know, I, I can't remember, you know, what that initially was, if that was back at 50% and three weeks later it was 80, but I know there was a while that it wasn't back up to 100% capacity. And I guess to what you were saying, maybe, maybe nine, you know, nine months, but yet the demand was still out there for all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't have as many, um, replacements coming back in, you know, maybe you called the herd a little harder um, just because you did, you don't know what's going on, um, you know, long-term of, uh, you know, effects of this type of thing. And, and if you can't get your pigs out, you know, or your livestock out to, you know, to get processed, you know, local butchers you're here are, are out, you know, I, I think they're out, you know, a year, year and a half with, you know, reserved spots uh, just, just so, you know, the local markets can get some of their, their, their um, animals, um, you know, processed and in and, and out in the food supply. So it's a it's a strange world we're in right now, to to say the least, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and and the the crazy thing about this is, you know, we talk about how 
one market uh, uh, interferes or changes another market. And we know that we've got this uh, phase one trade deal where uh, China is going to be buying ag products and, and some ridiculous amount of billions of dollars of ag products every year. And one of the things that you, you think about with that is is soybeans is a huge, yeah. huge one for China. Well, when they have such a low number on their on their hog production, that's what they're that's what they're buying those soybeans for, so yeah. that they can crush soybeans to feed the meal. And that's one of those things that yes, they were buying a lot of soybeans from us and they have been buying a lot of soybeans from us, but they're down significantly from where they were at. I think they were at the at the height of everything, I think there were just above 100 million tons per year. And I think uh, we're back to 85 to 90 now. Um, but so that's it's... also one of those things. But this is a company, this is a country that will then take uh, and put them into into storage. They will reserve those yeah. so that in case uh, domestic prices go go up like they've seen here in the last six or eight months, they can stay, take that out of their cheap state reserves and then they can they can refill it with cheaper uh, with cheap stuff rather than selling it uh, selling the expensive stuff that's uh, homegrown. Yeah. And and one of the things that you think about here is if we're not feeding as many as many hogs domestically, or you know say or poultry or even even cattle, yeah. that means that your feed demand is is down. We had to ration because we had to feed animals longer during the 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 height of COVID. Yeah. Well, and now we don't have as many animals because we had to bring our production down. So now you're not feeding as many as many hogs or as many chickens or turkeys or cattle, the corn or the uh, the meal at this point. And so it's like we're losing out on the demand side of that that side. But like I said, we have this export demand that is kind of taken over as the as what's running the show. And that's why we you know we see this back and forth. Whereas you know, every time we get a bunch of demand from China, Mexico, Japan, whoever it is, the markets get excited. But then once once you get past that day or two days, OK, well, I, I guess the, the fun is over. We just kind of yeah. sink back and, and just wait for the next one. Yeah. So, well, you know, and so I guess we talked about um, maybe a little uh, ethanol demand and how that affects, uh, you know, our, our domestic corn a little bit. We talked about uh China and the pork side that maybe affect, uh, you know, the, the soybean and feed demand here, not only domestically, but, you know, over, overseas as well. Um, well, we might as well hit the other, the other one, uh, major thing that affects, uh, all of this and that's weather. Um, you know, obviously we're off to a good start. I see a lot of, you know, ammonia being put on right now. A lot of guys doing some dry. I, I've even seen, you know, a few planners rolling. Um, you had, you had a weather outlook. On that uh, presentation that you did, um, you want to run through that. Do you remember that off the top of your head you, uh, of where we were at and what was kind of forecasted here? Well, I can get you close to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's. I, I thought. You know, it's not. You know, I, I think it's. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. We we had something where we were. I think it was a spring. We were looking at above above average temps in the spring. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're looking at warmer uh, warmer temperatures in the Midwest for the spring. We are looking for uh, for rains. It's not. We're not going to go completely dry. Now, the northern uh, northern portion of the Midwest, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, the Dakotas, 
uh, are are dry right now. They're not in a drought situation just yet, but they're yeah. they're dry bias. The southwestern uh, southwestern plains, Kansas, uh, Oklahoma, parts of Nebraska, they're dry as well, and and they're actually they were in drought status there for a long time. Now some of that's gotten a little bit better here. We've seen some rain over the last few weeks that have helped to kind of bolster that. Uh, you know, as they come out of dormancy for their wheat uh, uh, crop. It's actually looking better than it did back in the uh, in the fall when it went into dormancy. Yeah. Um, we are going to continue to see some rains here and there. I know over the next 10, 10 days, every portion of the uh, the northern call it northern two thirds of the of the corn belt is going to see some rain. So you know it is early in the season. I know it's you know it's odd that you you would see planters. Uh, especially up in our area yeah, yeah. Uh, on April 5th. But getting the field work done, and, and that's where it, uh, it's going to be a, a big deal. And you know what they say, even if we don't get the, the get the rain, if you plant in the dust, your bins will bust. Yeah. So that's the, that's the, mod, the main, the, the thinking that everybody has. Is if it's dry enough to go, I'm going to go. We yeah. don't have the compaction issues. We don't have the, the wet issues that we had. Uh, last year when we started or the or the year before so we've got we've got clear skies we're going to see guys going yeah we we'll get a little bit of rain to you know kind of maybe even bring us uh, bring us up to the point where uh the uh where the, the crop can get out of the ground and start to flourish um but you know you look at what was great about uh, the winter that we had here in northern illinois is there for a long time? What did we have? Two feet of snow sitting on the ground. Oh yeah, for six weeks, that, six plus weeks. Yeah. And that, when that melted, it didn't just—it wasn't like a big rain shower that melted it all away in one day. We took about a good week to two weeks to just slowly but surely melt that back into the ground. So our ground, even if we've been dry for a little bit, that ground should be in good condition, at least here in northern Illinois. Now, there's other places where there's issues, but um, as we move further into the into the spring, uh, those rains will start to slow down, and we're going to go to a drier bias. Now, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't mean drought. I'm not going to say drought. Um, there's potential for it. We're going to see uh, La Nina continue to weaken, which means that we will continue to see timely rains, but. There is the potential that as we get into the back half of, of summer, late July, early August, maybe even even later than that into September, yeah. we could see that La Nina start to, to get strong again, and that's where the dryness comes in. So you don't necessarily have – you may have a drier bias this year because of La Nina, but you don't have that immediate concern of a drought like you could next year or the year after. Yeah. Well, if, if I remember right, I think that, you know, the, the, you know, summarizing the, the forecast for summer, I think you, um, had touched on that we'd have near to above average temps, um, mm-hmm. and later summer, maybe near to below average precipitation. And yeah. so, you know, the, the funny thing, the, I guess the ironic thing, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm taking off my banger's hat, but my farmer's hat on is that, you know, if we have what I would say based on your weather outlook, exceptional, um, planning conditions, you know, timely mm-hmm. rains, above average temps, you know, we're able to get it all in. Um, you know, I, I could see that, you know, maybe uh, forecast, uh, you know, f- for the, you know, price, I guess, points of corn and such of that, you know, y- you could see some interesting things go on as you think that, you know, we had a great spring, conditions look to be great, 
um, but later in the growing season starting to tail off and be dry kind of sounds like, you know, maybe a similar year to what we had last year. I mean, it's, is that a fair statement? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair statement. I, I think there's the, the potential, um, that there could be some, uh, some, uh, some dryness concerns. There's going to be, there could be some stress. Um, but, you know, overall, we didn't have a bad year last year, and I don't think we're going to no. have a bad year this year. And, um, you know, nobody saw that derecho storm come through Iowa. That, that was not something that we were pointing to, you know, months in advance. It, it happened, and yes, it dropped and, and wiped out quite a bit of, uh, of corn and some soybeans. But at the end of the day, for the most part, the Midwest, which is, you know, obviously going to be the most important area for corn and bean, corn and bean production, was good. And I think that's going to be the case this year. But there's enough of a doubt out there. There's just enough of a yeah. doubt that it will keep us supported until we start to see pollination forecasts coming out or maybe even pod fill uh, forecasts coming out for August and getting an idea of what they're going to say. So, you know, we we got this report last week where the where the acres were actually less than expected i mean we yeah. we went into this thing with our our own survey and and everybody else was saying the same thing is that we're going to plant wall to wall corn and beans it was there was no no thought of not planting if there was a square of of land out there it was going to be planted to something. Well, we had price support to validate that too, right? <laughs> we we did, and and if you look at if you look back at last year, we had just enough uh, just enough issues in some areas that we had, you know, the the uh, the northern plains had uh, had a lot of prevent plant. You had some uh, some prevent plant all over the place. Uh, uh, not not as bad as the year before, but 10.2 million acres of prevent plant last year. And so that was one of those things where as we're going into this report and everybody's saying, yes, we're going to plant this, we're going to plant that. And all the numbers came back up and and showed that every basically every acre that we were going to plant last year was coming back into into production this year. Yeah. But when we got the USDA report last Wednesday, well, they they came up short. They came up. With seven million acres more than last year, uh, eighty-seven point uh, point four, I believe, for uh, for beans, ninety-one point one for for corn, which was you know t- anywhere from two to three uh, million bushels or million acres short of what they thought. Plus, you had some decreases in other places. Yep. That all of a sudden now you've got three point two million acres that everybody's sitting there saying, "Well, where's, where's that go? Yeah, where's it at?" Because you know, I think you alluded to this. You're not seeing it going into CRP. Um, right. You know, so and, and, and what was it? The other thing you said, maybe you and, and you weren't seeing any uh, major flooding issues that would take it out and, and be, Correct. you know, the point where they had the prevent plant, you know, estimate number wrong or, you know, whatever the case is, you know, trying to figure out where you plug that hole. So I guess, right. you know, that's the real question. Is it, you know, where did that, you know, three million acres, where did it go? Well, and, and that's one of those things that I, I think they're leaving it to, to a little bit of a fudge factor is, is, you know, saying, let's leave it, let's leave it open because, and they do this, they do this, uh, off of surveys that the USDA is doing as well. So there could be a situation where we're going into planting and some of our customers, uh, some of our producers are, 
are not 100% sure. They may have their standard rotation, but they've got some uh, some fringe acres that may uh, may need to get planted to yeah. uh, whatever, just depending on where prices are or depending on uh, when they can get to those acres. So when you look at the historicals on changes from the March to the June uh, acreage reports, um, typically the most you're going to see go to uh, – added to soybeans is maybe a million acres. A lot of times it's only 100,000 to to 500,000 acres, but the most you would normally see would be a million acres. Corn, on the other hand, you know, we've talked about this, is that the faster we plant corn, the more corn we plant. Yep, yep. And it's... And it's not necessarily it's not necessarily a pricing because it does cost more to plant corn. The, the inputs are more expensive. There's more of them. Um, but here in the Midwest, if there's anything that you can count on, it's that farmers are going to plant corn because let's face it, corn is king. It is, and you know what? We all like combining corn better than soybeans. <laughs> it's, it's awful pretty, isn't it? It's much it is. prettier than soybeans. Yeah. I mean, one of one of our brokers uh, a few years ago, he. He uh, he has a farm out in Nebraska, and he he made a comment that I'll never forget. He said, "You know, I, the problem with with soybeans is not that they they aren't going to make you money; it's just that they're so dirty." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So, well, you know, and that's something maybe to keep an eye on. I mean, we is is you're looking towards you know what to do, and you know if if we have you know we I, I, what I would say is we've gotten off to a decent start of spring and if this continues I, I would probably anticipate seeing more corn acres than projected i would too i i think uh, i think when it's all said and done we'll get up to about that 93 94 million acre point for uh, for corn unless there's some unforeseen flood issue or or some you know some areas will prevent plant off of uh, conditions that are too dry but i don't see that being an issue this year um, the big thing that i would say is it's okay to be bullish right now. We know that that acres number is not going to change until June. Yeah. It's okay to be, you know, and, and everybody wants to see higher prices. We get that. The thing to remember is if all goes according to plan, we are probably not going to hold these price levels. And that's where you need to take some action. And, you know, I can't give you, you know, over a podcast or, or anything like that. I can't give you specific do this or do that, but yeah. I can say, you have to that's what you have to keep in the back of your mind is that these levels that we're at especially this year i mean I think this is the highest uh, highest insurance rate that we've seen uh in 8 years yep i, w- I was going to say are, 8 7 or 8 yeah these are the this is you're guaranteed to to add a profit right now you know and and if it you know if if you do have some sort of production issue the insurance will will help with that but you're going to need to do something whether that's forward sales HTAs uh cash sales you know working with your local animal producers doing some doing some board hedges whether you're buying puts or you're selling futures whatever it is this is not going to be that year where you want to you want to be going into say harvest or even into december saying oh i wish i'd done something because now look at the price you know so if i'm reading between the lines here greg um you're 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 i guess in not so many words saying hey you know there's a potential to to still be bullish 
all the way up till uh, you know the planted acres. Um, but after that, it could go one way or the other. Uh, be prepared to make the move. But while we're in these profitable, um, you know, uh, profitable price price points, get in touch with somebody and, and make some decisions, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think you can be friendly to these markets, and I think we've got good support uh, because of tighter ending stocks uh, for for old crop, which bleeds into the new crop uh, for beginning stocks. And with the acres being a little bit lower, I think you can still be friendly. I just I just don't want uh, people to forget how they make their money. They make their money off of marketing grain. It's, yeah. That's the biggest thing. So if you're not marketing your grain and you're going to be a store and ignore – that worked this year, but yep. that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work every year. I think it maybe works at once every 10 years or so, and it's it's rough. It's it's one of those things you have to remember what, how you make your money, how, what your paycheck is, is based off of. It's not based off of good feelings. It's based off of selling grain, and that's the, that's the big thing. So you've got some time. You don't have to rush out and do anything, but you also have to keep it in the back of your mind. If you're at profitable levels – you can ju- you can just go out and buy a put, and this is and this is not a specific recommendation, but this is you can go out and buy a put and cover cover that. And if the market continues to go up, that cash uh, price is going to continue to accrue, and that put may lose you money, but it's not going to cost you any more than what you put into it. Yeah. The premium that you put into it is all you're going to have to pay into it. So if the if the cash continues to go up, and let's say we have a production issue. Well, then the cash does continue to go up. But think about it the other way is if cash continues to go up on a production issue, that means you may have a production issue. Yeah. So if you're oversold at the elevator or HTAs through whoever, ADM, Cargill, whoever, that's where you could get yourself into trouble. That's why when you work against the board, sometimes that's where the advantage to the board is because we're not dealing in physical bushels. We're dealing in theoretical bushels, and we can say, well, you were short on your production by 30,000 bushels. Well, that was what we had covered, so that's fine on the board. That's okay. Everything else you can deliver against. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's you know, as as uh, as a farmer and, and farmers listening to this, I think that's a a, a real um, you know real worry, and especially you know if, if we put all of this together, Greg, and we say, okay, there is less demand, um, you know, due to crude uh, potential, less feed demand, you know, we want to get we want to I, I think what we you know as farmers would say we want to get some prices locked in now, but when you throw in this potential weather outlook of, you know, mm-hmm. you know, maybe being dry, you know, maybe being somewhat of a repeat of what happened last year, you know, sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to pull the trigger on a lot of that, you know, a lot of that bushel per acre uh, that you really want to have sold. So, uh, yeah, I guess it, you know, it really pays to sit down and talk to somebody like you um, and, and to, to talk through those strategies and, and figure out what the best option, you know, for your specific farm is in relation to what risk is out there, right? Right, absolutely. And that's that's one of the things that I, you know, as I've worked with my customers and as I talk with uh, with them is, you know, I, I this is I grew up doing this. This is my, you know, I was on a farm for you know, the first 25 years of my life and so I've I've been around it a long time. I know the blood, sweat and tears that goes into this. So it's 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 hard to to part ways with something that you put so much effort into. But it also is one of those things that if you can 
you know, if you can be profitable or at the very worst break even, the likelihood of you being in business next year is is pretty high. Much higher. Yeah. And then also, you know, that's also one of those things where, I mean, there's so much, so much that's going to go up because of the price movement that we've seen. I mean, we've already seen, uh, fertilizer, uh, prices go up. We'll see, you know, every, every input that you have. And if people remember back in 2012, 2000, 2011, 2012, 2013, Shoot, I think we were still working off of 2013 inputs yeah. in 2017 or yep. 2015. So yep. there, that will not necessarily go away right away. Plus, you may have your land rents locked in for this year already. But what's going to happen in the fall when those come come due again? Well, you guys are making more money. I'm going to need a little more to to hold this uh, hold this ground, or yeah. else I can get the the next guy down the road to do it. Yep, a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of interesting yeah. stuff. So, well, as as we wrap up here, I certainly appreciate the time, Greg. Is there anything else you need to uh, get off your chest before we tell people how to get in contact with you? No, I just think I think there's a lot of opportunity out there, and and it's not all it's not all you know trying to make sure that you're covering covering your downside. If you've already sold uh, cash, there's opportunities that you could. Uh, that you could buy, you know, calls or there's uh, there's ways to uh, to still maintain ownership uh, if you still have if you've gotten rid of some of your old crop or even some of your new crop, because there's always a way to play the market in either direction. It's just a matter of ma- managing your risk. And that's that's what I'm here to, to help with. Perfect. Well, I, I, again, um, you're certainly a trusted advisor in the network of people I pool together to try to help farmers out um, throughout their growing season and, you know, their business cycle. And so I really appreciate the time you've spent with, um, you know, my uh, my outlets, uh, you know, media outlets and in, in, in bringing, you know, good, good information to the table here. So thank you so much. How, how do people get in touch with you? Well, they can call me at uh, 815-578-6165. That's my direct line. Uh, G. McBride at Allendale-inc.com or the podcast, uh, which is the Allendale Market Talk podcast. And you can find that on pretty much every uh, podcasting service that's out there. Awesome. Well, again, thank you. Thanks for the time. And I uh, look forward to chatting with you again. Thanks, Jeremy. All right. Thank you.